Keep your Bibles open to Luke, chapter 7, verses 24 through 28. That will be our text this morning. Last week, we looked at a question John the Baptist asked Jesus and how Jesus responded. And today, we're going to see what Jesus said to the people about John the Baptist. In particular, I want to draw your attention to verse 28, where Jesus said, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The title of our sermon this morning is a question. Are you greater than John the Baptist? Jesus said that whosoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Before we begin to look at this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage, you would help us to see and understand what Jesus taught here. Lord, I, I feel insufficient to preach from this text, especially. Lord, I pray that you would give me grace. May I not speak falsehood. May you convict each and every one of us from your word. Help us to grow in righteousness and in Christ-likeness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Notice how verse 24 begins. And when the messengers of John were departed. When the messengers of John were departed. Now these were the disciples of John the Baptist who were sent to Jesus with that question that we looked at last week. John the Baptist sent two of his disciples and they asked Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? In the verses that we're about to look at, Jesus said some very positive things about John the Baptist. Imagine, on a human level, how encouraging some of these things would have been for John. Jesus called John a prophet. Yea, much more than a prophet. Jesus specifically said that John the Baptist was a fulfillment of the prophecy about a messenger that we read about in Malachi chapter 3. Jesus said, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. It seems like this would have been very encouraging for John to hear. But this is not the message that Jesus sent back to John. Jesus waited to say these things until after the messengers from John had departed. John the Baptist, he may have never heard what Jesus said about him on this occasion. When John the Baptist was struggling, Jesus didn't build him up by pointing to John the Baptist. Jesus pointed to himself, to his work, to his fulfilling prophecy. And he encouraged John's faith in Jesus as the Messiah. By way of application for ourselves, when we are struggling, when we are discouraged, when we are full of doubt, we don't need to look to ourselves. We don't need someone to come along and say to us, well, look at all the good things you have done. Look at what you have accomplished. Or even, look at what God has done through you. Look at what God has used you to do. No. We must stop looking to ourselves, and we must look to Jesus Christ. Look to His work. Look to His word. Look to His promises. We find our rest in Him, and not in ourselves. I've heard it taught at this church many times, and it is true, sound, biblical advice. Our problems do not come from low self-esteem, but from low God-esteem. 
we think too much of ourselves and too little of God. Better self-esteem will not fix the problems that you have because you don't have the power to fix the problems you have. You have the power to make problems, but you don't have the power to fix them. We must look to Jesus Christ. Rest in Jesus and Jesus alone. When John was struggling, Jesus pointed to himself. But now that the disciples of John are departed, Jesus began to talk to the multitude that was there about John the Baptist. And he began this discussion by asking the same question three times. What went ye out into the wilderness to see? He asks this question three times. The first is at the end of verse 24. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken in the wind? Did you go to see a reed? Was it the the flora of the wilderness that attracted you? Did you go for a nice nature walk to see those reeds growing along the Jordan River? Did you go to see a man who was like a reed, weak and flimsy, uncertain, shaken by every blowing wind? Did you go to see a reed? The same question begins at verse 25. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. What did you go to the wilderness to see? Did you go to see a man in soft raiment? If they did, Jesus says, you went to the wrong place. You should have gone to a king's court. That's where men live in soft raiment. And we learn something here about mankind. Pretty clothes, delicate lives are the best men can do on their own. Those who have reached the pinnacle of this world, kings, celebrities, the ultra-wealthy, what do they have? Pretty clothes, delicate lives. And then they die and face judgment. And that's it. What shall it profit a man, Jesus said, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And so Jesus says to the multitude there, Did you go to see a man in soft raiment? A man successful by the measure of the world. Finally, in verse 26, Jesus asked, But what went ye out for to see? A prophet. Yea, I say unto you, much more than a prophet. They went out into the wilderness to see a prophet. A prophet's not a man like a reed, weak and uncertain, shaken by every wind that blows. A prophet's not a man in soft raiment, successful in the world and leading a life marked by wealth and delicacy. A prophet's a different sort of man entirely. A prophet was a man commissioned by God to deliver God's message to God's people. And the people went out into the wilderness to see a man they believed was a prophet. Why was there so much interest in a prophet? If you read the Old Testament, prophets seem commonplace. In just a few hours, you can read all the minor prophets, for example. And we think, boy, there was, there was a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. And sometimes we forget that there were generations at times between the prophets that God sent to his people. And often, when there were prophets, they were not sought after. They were hated and rejected. People did not want to go and find them and hear what they had to say. We see lots of examples in this. Remember what God said to Ezekiel when he was commissioned as a prophet. Ezekiel 3.7. 
This is what God says to Ezekiel. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto you, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. In Matthew 23, verses 29-34, Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. And you say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. And Jesus says, Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees in his day, You are just like your fathers who killed the prophets. And Jesus' words were proven true when they went on to crucify Jesus and to persecute the early church. Well, in contrast to the normal receptions prophets tended to receive in Israel, the people flocked to the wilderness to see and hear John the Baptist. Now, why was there so much interest in a prophet? John the Baptist was the first prophet since Malachi. That's a period of about 400 years, over 400 years, where God did not send a prophet to his people. This was very unusual. This long of a period of prophetic silence had never happened before for the nation of Israel. It actually caused a major shift in Judaism as they began to put a greater and greater focus on the written word of God because there were no inspired prophets giving new revelation. But then, finally, after 400 years, a strange man began to preach in the wilderness. He wore rough camel hair clothing He ate the food he found in the wilderness, locusts and honey. He preached a message of repentance, and he was baptizing Jews, which was very unusual. And the people said, it is a prophet. It's a prophet. So they went out to see him and to hear his message of repentance. The religious leader said, no, there are no prophets anymore. John the Baptist, he is not a prophet. Yet many of them still went to see and to hear him. But they did not receive his message of repentance. Now on this occasion, Jesus directly confirmed what the people already believed. That John the Baptist was indeed a prophet. And not only a prophet, Jesus says he was much more than a prophet. In verse 27, Jesus told the people that John was the fulfillment of the prophecy found in Malachi. The reference for it is Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 in our Bibles. And this is what Jesus said in verse 27 of our text. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Now I'm going to read Malachi 3.1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Did you notice the difference? In Malachi... The pronouns are me, and in our text, when Jesus quotes it, he uses the pronouns you. From Malachi's perspective, the one sending the messenger and the one coming after the messenger are one and the same. It is God. From Jesus' perspective, the one sending the messenger is the Father, and the one coming after the messenger is the Son. And Jesus is careful to never present himself as the Father, and thus 
the distinction that we see here is necessary. And working backward from this, we learn something about the nature of God. God is one in essence, with three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see that in our text as Jesus is careful to make this distinction between persons in the Trinity, whereas the prophet Malachi, he makes no division in God. We also see in this reference that Jesus claimed to be God. This prophecy in Malachi, which refers to God, Jesus applied to himself. Earlier on in John's ministry, there had been some questions about who he was or what prophecy he could have been fulfilling. And we find this exchange in John chapter 1. In John 1.19, some priests and Levites from Jerusalem, they, they asked John the Baptist, Who art thou? And in verse 20, John replied, I am not the Christ. And then they asked, What then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. And they asked, Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. On our text this morning, Jesus pointed directly to the prophecy in Malachi chapter 3. And he told the multitude that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of that prophecy. In verse 28, Jesus further commends John the Baptist before the people. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Jesus said there was no prophet greater than John the Baptist. Now, how many times have we maybe read this statement? And we skip over it quickly. We don't ever give it any thought. No prophet greater than John the Baptist? What about Elijah or Elisha? These men prayed and God sent fire down from heaven. God raised people from the dead through their ministry. Through them, God healed the sick, provided for the needy, parted the Jordan River twice, worked many other mighty miracles. John stood in a river and preached. John 10, 41 says, John the Baptist did no miracle. And yet Jesus said... John was greater. What about Moses? God talked to Moses as a man talks to his friend. Exodus thirty-three eleven. God used Moses to write the first five books of the Bible. Through the ministry of Moses, God delivered his people from Egypt, through the Red Sea, through the desert for 40 years. God called Moses the meekest man on earth. Numbers 12, 3. How could John the Baptist possibly compare to Moses? Yet Jesus said John was greater. What about Daniel? What about Jeremiah? What about Isaiah? There are all these Old Testament prophets that God did mighty works through. And yet Jesus said John was greater than all of these. Why? What made John the Baptist a greater prophet? He was the greatest because of his position in redemptive history. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. Unlike all the other Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist saw Jesus in the flesh. He touched the Messiah, the Son of God. He pointed to a man walking on the shore of the Jordan River, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God 
which taketh away the sins of the world. A privilege that no other Old Testament prophet had. Because of John's position in redemptive history, Jesus called him the greatest prophet. He was more than a prophet. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. And then Jesus made an incredible statement there at the end of verse 28. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus had just said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet, and then he immediately said that whoever is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. That's an incredible statement. What is the kingdom of God? This phrase, the kingdom of God, is used over 30 times. In Luke's gospel, it's used many, many times in the New Testament. We've taught on it before, but we're going to go over it again as we seek to understand what Jesus taught in this passage. There's a lot to dig into here and to study about the kingdom of God. And I'm not certainly not going to be able to, to deal with it comprehensively this morning. If you want my notes for further reference, I always make them available. They're on our website or Sermon Audio, or if you just ask me, I can give you a paper copy. But what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom is God's reign. Very simply, it's God's reign. God exercising his divine kingly authority. And God the Father has given this authority to the Son. And he will exercise this authority until everything is subdued that is hostile to God. We're told this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 through 28. The object of this rule is the redemption of men for the glory of God. This is what we see all throughout Scripture. There is a hostile kingdom that is opposed to God's kingdom. In Luke 4, verse 5, if you remember, the devil boasted of his power in the kingdom of the world and even offered this power to Jesus. In Luke 11, Jesus refers to demonic possession as part of Satan's kingdom among men. In 2 Corinthians 3-4, through 4, we have a summary statement of the conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, or the kingdom of Satan. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3-4. through 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. Entrance into the kingdom of God means deliverance from the power of darkness. Colossians 1.13 says this, God hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. The ultimate fulfillment of this kingdom will come at the end of the age. Jesus Christ will return in his glory. He will sit on the throne of judgment. The wicked will be condemned, and the righteous will inherit the kingdom. Jesus taught this in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. But the kingdom is not just something out there in the future. The kingdom of God has entered history in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in the gospel. The redemptive rule of God invaded the kingdom of Satan and now delivers men from the power of sin. In Luke eleven twenty, Jesus asserted the power and presence of the kingdom when he said, But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. One day Satan will be destroyed. He'll be cast into the lake of fire and tormented forever and ever, as Revelation 20.10 tells us. But Satan has already been defeated. 
The kingdom of God has come into the hearts of men and women through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is supernatural. Divine kingly authority, it belongs to God and to God alone. Only the supernatural power of God can bring the kingdom. Only God can destroy Satan and redeem men from the power of sin. So what is our responsibility in the kingdom of God? Well, we can preach the kingdom of God. When Jesus sent out the 70, he told them to preach, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. In Acts 8.12, we're told that Philip went to Samaria and preached the kingdom of God. The book of Acts ends by telling us that Paul spent two years in Rome preaching the kingdom of God. We can persuade men about the kingdom. Acts 19.8, and he, Paul, went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. We can reject the kingdom, refuse to enter it. Jesus said in Matthew 23:13, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. We can look for the kingdom of God, like Joseph of Arimathea in Luke 23, 51. We can pray for the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus told us to pray, Thy kingdom come in the Lord's Prayer. We can seek for it. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. But we cannot bring the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God works in and through men, but it is altogether God's work. It's a supernatural work. So to summarize, the kingdom of God is God's divine reign. The Father has given this authority to the Son, and He will ultimately subdue everything that is hostile to God. The ultimate fulfillment of this kingdom will come at the end of the age, but the kingdom of God has entered this age in the gospel, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is supernatural. It works in and through men, but it is altogether God's doing. The kingdom of God. So what does it mean, as Jesus said at the end of verse 28, to be in the kingdom? To be in the kingdom, you must be born again by the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus said in John 3, verses 5 through 7. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The only way to be in the kingdom of God now is to be born again by the Spirit of God. To move from opposition to God's divine rule, to move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Now we need to answer a difficult question as it relates to our text. And I don't pretend to understand this fully. Could Old Testament saints enter the kingdom? Ultimately, at the end of the age, the answer is yes. But temporally, during the period of their lives, no. And the answer is no for this simple reason. The kingdom of God had not yet come, had not yet entered history. Jesus Christ had not yet entered history as the Redeemer to establish his kingdom in the hearts of men. Now, we need to avoid confusion about salvation. There has always and only been one way of salvation, looking in faith to the King. 
to the Messiah, to the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, believers looked forward in faith to the promised King who would come. In the New Testament, believers look back in faith to the King who came, to the Redeemer who came. There's always and only been one way of salvation, through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can go to the Father but through Him, John 14, 6. Jesus does not help you along in your way to God. He calls upon you to abandon your way. Because your way is bankrupt. It is a way of sin and rebellion. He calls you to repent, to turn around, and to go His way. Have you ever looked to Jesus Christ in faith as the King who came to purchase your redemption? There is no work you can do to redeem yourself. There is no suffering you can endure to pay for your sins. There is no righteousness that you can attain that will increase your standing before God. There is now, and there has always been, only one way of salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. The way of salvation found in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only true way of salvation. You must look to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. And in God's plan of redemption, Jesus, the promised king, had to come. He had to enter his creation as a man at a point in time to establish his kingdom. I spent a long time this week poring over this text and over scriptures on this theme of the kingdom of God throughout the Bible. And I still feel completely insufficient to teach on this topic of the kingdom. So much here. I don't understand. I, I can't wrap my mind around. And I encourage you, spend some time studying this theme in scripture. Be students of the word. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 16, 16. This is an amazing statement from Jesus. In Luke 16, 16, Jesus said, The law and the prophets were until John. In reference to John the Baptist. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Now combine that with what we read in verse 28 of our text. For I say unto you, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Up to John, it was the law and the prophets. After John, the kingdom of God is preached. And the least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest prophet. Everyone who is in the kingdom of God occupies a greater position than the greatest of the prophets, John the Baptist himself. Compare the apostles with John the Baptist. Who was the least of the apostles? Maybe it was Thomas, old doubting Thomas. Or maybe it was James, the son of Alphaeus, of whom the scripture tells us virtually nothing. Or maybe it was Paul, who called himself the least of the apostles, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. But whoever was least among the apostles was greater than John the Baptist. The apostles had better, better access to Jesus, to see what he did, to hear what he taught. The apostles performed miracles, something John never did. The apostles preached the gospel with clearer insight than John, especially after the Holy Spirit indwelt them on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon John, but the Holy Spirit indwelt the apostles. The apostles were able to preach Christ as not only having come in the flesh. That's what John did. John pointed to Jesus, a man in the flesh, and said, Behold the Lamb of God. 
But the apostles were able to preach Christ not only as having come in the flesh, but as having suffered, died, and risen again to complete the work of redemption. The apostles saw Jews and Gentiles alike repent and turn to God for salvation. The least of the apostles was greater than John the Baptist as they occupied a place of greater revelation of God's redemption. The least gospel minister is greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist prepared the way for the Messiah. He announced Jesus' coming in the flesh. He looked for the kingdom that Jesus would bring, but we follow after the Messiah. We point to the finished work of Jesus Christ. We live in the kingdom Jesus brought. The least Christian is greater than John the Baptist. You and I, we might not possess a measure of faith, anything near to the faith of John the Baptist. Yet we are greater because of the privileges we possess. As John was greater than all the prophets because of the place he occupied in redemptive history, so we are greater than John the Baptist because of the place we occupy in redemptive history. Because what, have, what has been given to us in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Because we enjoy the kingdom blessings that John never knew. We have a clearer view greater understanding, better revelation, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. All of these things that John the Baptist never had. And with all these privileges comes responsibility. Amen. Woe unto us if we squander the grace of God on careless living, on the pursuit of the things of this world. Woe unto us to whom has been given the kingdom of God, if we turn from it for the kingdom of this world. This leads us back to where we started, to this question. Are you greater than John the Baptist? Anyone who is in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Are you in the kingdom? Are you in the kingdom of God? Are you resting in Jesus Christ for salvation this morning? Jesus said, you must be born again. There is no other way. Turn from your sin and turn in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ. He is the only way. Are you in the kingdom? If you are in the kingdom, you're greater than John the Baptist. As Christians, we should be in awe at what Jesus taught in this verse. The least apostle, the least gospel minister, the least Christian is greater than John the Baptist. Not because of what you've done. But because of what has been given to you in Jesus Christ. As believers, we occupy a high place of privilege. And along with that, we occupy a high place of responsibility. We have tremendous revelation. Tremendous privilege given to us in Christ. And that's good news. That's cause for rejoicing. But that is also a tremendous responsibility. To whom much has been given, much will be required. Christians are called joint heirs to the kingdom of God. We have a high, high calling. By the grace of God, may we be found faithful. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we humble ourselves before your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for 
what's been given here for us. Lord, so many times we might be tempted to look back to the past and say, boy, if only I had lived then. If only I had seen that. Or if only I had been able to experience that. And we lose sight of the privileges that we have now, what has been given to us. And with those privileges, our responsibility to be faithful with those privileges. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be students of your word. May we dig deeply into what this means. May we be mindful this week. Convict us from your word this week as we go about our lives, Lord. Remind us that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, if we are Christians. And with that, we have a high responsibility before you. Help us be mindful of this, we pray, Lord, as we go forward. Help us be faithful in sharing the good news of the kingdom of God with those around us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.